Is all of Bible prophecy negative? Is there anything positive about it? Is it all just gloom and doom and destruction? Well, we're going to see some things today. This is Albert Hardy with Bible Prophecy Radio. Thank you for tuning in today. I want to start in the 30th chapter of Jeremiah. And I just want to read a few passages here. So I'm just going to clip out some pieces and then we'll keep going and see other scriptures that prove that God doesn't want destruction and death and misery all the time. He wants correction. He wants restitution. He wants restoration. He wants reconciliation. He wants relationship that works. So that's what we're going to look at. This is Jeremiah 30. The Lord, this is verse 1, gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Write down for the record everything I've said to you, Jeremiah. For the time is coming when I will restore the fortunes of my people of Israel and Judah. I will bring them home to this land that I gave to their ancestors, and they will possess it again. I, the Lord, have spoken. Dropping down to verse 10, So do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant. Do not be dismayed, Israel, says the Lord, for I will bring you home again from distant lands and your children will return from their exile. Israel will return to a life of peace and quiet. Do you have that in your life? Do I have it in mine? Not often enough, let me tell you. And no one will terrorize them. Our world is growing more and more full of terrorism and trouble and house break-ins and things of that nature. We don't like that, and God doesn't like it either. So I pray that you and yours will be safe and not have to face those things, and pray for peace. In verse 16 of that same 30th chapter of Jeremiah, he says, but all who devour you will be devoured, and all your enemies will be sent into exile. All who plunder you will be plundered themselves, and all who attack you will be attacked. I will give you back your health and heal your wounds, says the Lord. For you are called an outcast, Jerusalem, for whom no one cares. But that's not all he has to say. He goes on in chapter 31. In that day, verse 1, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they will be my people. So is it just Israel he's concerned with? Well, we're going to see more. It is my belief that he wishes the same thing to happen to all people. And we'll find out about that before this podcast is over.
In verse 2, he says, This is what the Lord says. Those who survive the coming destruction will find blessings even in the barren land. Huh. For I will give rest to the people of Israel. Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. I will rebuild you, my virgin Israel. You will again be happy and dance merrily with your tambourines. Again, you will plant your vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. And that's present-day Syria, if I'm not mistaken. And eat from your own gardens there. The day will come when the watchmen will shout from the hill country of Ephraim, and say, Come, let us go up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord our God. Verse 7. Now, this is what the Lord says. Sing for joy for Israel. Shout for the greatest of nations. Shout with the praise and joy. Quote, Save your people, O Lord, the remnant of Israel. For I will bring them from the north and from the distant corners of the earth. I will not forget the blind and the lame, the expectant mothers and the women in labor. A great company will return. Verse 9, chapter 31, Jeremiah. Tears of joy will stream down their faces and I will lead them home with great care. They will walk beside quiet streams and on smooth paths where they will not stumble. Have you seen these 4K brand uh, Pro Art uh, Inc., I believe is the name of it, videos on YouTube? Some of these are several hours long. They're long, beautiful walks through parks like uh, Bryce Canyon and Grand Canyon and uh, various woods in the North Pacific, uh, Pacific Northwest. Just gorgeous. You've got to check them out. But that's what he's talking about right here. I will walk beside, or they will walk beside quiet streams and on smooth paths, and they will not stumble. For I am Israel's father, and Ephraim is my oldest child. Listen to this message from the Lord, you nations of the world. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. The Lord who scattered his people will gather them and watch over them as a shepherd does his flock. This is not talking just about Israel, seems to me. Verse 11. For the Lord has redeemed or made the most of Israel from those too strong for them. They will come home singing songs of joy on the heights of Jerusalem. They will be radiant. Are you radiant today? I hope so. They will be radiant. Why? Because of the Lord's good gifts. What gifts? The abundant crops of grain, new wine, olive oil, and healthy flocks and herds. Their life will be like a well-watered garden. 
Doesn't that sound great? And all their sorrows will be gone. Cool. The young women will dance for joy, and the men, old and young, will join in the celebration. Hopefully, our women will teach us men how to dance. There's nothing wrong with that. We need to be joyful. We need to dance and have fun. I remember one time my wife and I danced together, just once in our whole married 52 years, because shortly after that, she had a major stroke, and she didn't die. She's in a nursing home laying in a flat bed for 19 years, paralyzed. I look forward to the resurrection when we can dance again together. He continues, I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and exchange their sorrow for rejoicing. The priests will enjoy abundance and my people will feast on good gifts. I, the Lord, have spoken. In verse 17, he writes, There is hope for your future, says the Lord. Your children will come again to their own land. I hope someday that my children will have their own land, their own homes. I have heard Israel saying, You discipline me severely like a calf that needs training with a yoke. Turn me again to you and restore me, for you alone are the Lord my God. Yes, I turned away from God. But then I was sorry, and I kicked myself for my own stupidity. I was thoroughly ashamed of all I did in my younger days. Boy, does that ring true for me. Is not Israel still my son, my darling child, says the Lord? I often have had to punish him, but I still love him, and that's why I long for him, and surely... We'll have mercy on him. Dropping down to verse 23. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. When I bring them back from captivity, the people of Judah and its towns will again say, The Lord bless you, O righteous home, O holy mountain. Townspeople and farmers and shepherds alike will live together in peace and happiness, for I have given rest to the weary and joy to the sorrowing. Verse 27, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will greatly increase the human population and the number of animals here in Israel and Judah. When he says the human population, are we not humans, we Gentiles, way over here in America? Absolutely, we're human, but God will greatly increase the human population. Today, I believe personally that the elites of the world want to depopulate the planet. And do you know that the COVID virus is patented? How could that be? Well, somebody wanted to destroy humanity with it. You can research that for yourselves. 
But God is going to greatly increase the human population, and this is probably after World War III, but we won't go there today. And the number of animals as well will be increased. I noticed that on these walks of, of mine, and when I go to the 4K website and watch one of those beautiful uh, well done walks through long walks through the woods, maybe miles and miles of trails. It's just so stunning. You see lakes and rivers and and animals and big, huge trees. It's just gloriously gorgeous, beautiful work, amazing work. But I've noticed that there aren't really that many animals maybe one or two in a whole long walk. What happened? What happened to all the animals? Well, the answer to that would be mankind killed them all. Verse 28, In time past, I deliberately uprooted and tore down this nation. I overthrew it and destroyed it and brought disaster upon it. But in the future, I will just as deliberately plant it and build it up. I, the Lord, have spoken. And I want to get to verse 33. That's where we're heading. And you gotta, you got to see this. This is really great stuff. Verse 33, Jeremiah 31. This is the new covenant. Now, wait a minute. This is the Old Testament. And you're saying this is the New Testament? No, the Bible is all one piece. It's just the First Testament and the Second Testament, not the Old and the New. It's not old. This Old Testament is the, the Bible Jesus himself had. There was no New Testament when Jesus was walking the earth. Sometimes that can be a revelation. But here's the New Covenant. This is the beginning of the New Testament, if you will. And this is right in, almost in the middle of the book, just past it a little bit. But this is the new covenant, verse 33, that I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord. For everyone, from the least to the greatest, will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Wow. In verse 36, he reminds us in this way. He says, I am as likely to reject my people Israel as I am to abolish the laws of nature. This is what the Lord says, Just as the heavens cannot be measured and the foundations of the earth cannot be explored, so I will not consider casting them away. For the evil they have done, I, the Lord, have spoken." Another way of saying that is, I'm not casting them away. I'm not going to forget them, even for all the evils they've done. 
the Lord will not do it. Now let's go to John chapter 6 and verse 45 and thereabouts. John chapter 6 and verse uh, 45. Well, let's go to 43. But Jesus replied, Stop complaining about what I said, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. So you see, that even applies to us. The whole Bible, the whole covenant, where he puts his law and his ideas, his words in our hearts, is for all people. As it is written in the scriptures, verse 45, John 6, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. That's Jesus speaking. In verse 47, he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes, in other words, in Jesus, has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Some people I have talked to about this scripture say, Ooh, that's gross. He's, we are supposed to eat Jesus' flesh? Well, it's representative of the Passover. Anybody can eat the bread that will take it, it seems to me, that wants to take it in a, with a sincere heart. So Jesus continues in verse 53. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person up at the last day. It's about the resurrection. You see, Jesus himself was the very first who was a human being that was raised to permanent life. There's such a thing as permanent death. And you might consider this. Why would God the Father bother to put people through their trials and troubles to build them into someone who could care about him and love him and then destroy them because they died without repenting of their sins? And that is, why would he put them in an ever-burning hellfire to torture them? God is not a torturer, but he is a destroyer of rebels, and he will change their thinking. And if they will not have their thinking changed and they continue to refuse to uh, accept God, what's he going to do? He's not going to keep them around. Why should he? 
they made the choice. So that doesn't mean they're going to be burning and burning and burning forever and ever, every day of their lives. And they're going to enjoy parties in hell and be the first one in line or something like that to get in, thinking it's a great uh, party. No, it's death, permanent death. Personally, I don't want to fade away into oblivion and become nothing. I want to be fruitful. I want to bear lots of fruit. I want to help God develop worlds, and that's what he does. I want to be a part of whatever he's got going. Flip back with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 54, starting in verse 13. Here Isaiah writes these words quoted from the lips of God. I will teach all your children, and they will enjoy great peace, and you will be secure under a government that is just and fair. This is when Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the ruler of planet earth. And your enemies will stay far away. You will live in peace, and terror will not come near you. If any nation comes to fight you, it is not because I sent them. Whoever attacks you will go down in defeat. I have created the blacksmith who fans the coals beneath the forge and makes weapons of destruction. And I have created the armies that destroy. But in that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. It does not say by Israel and Judah alone. It says by the servants of the Lord. Hopefully we all can be one of those. He goes on, their vindication will come from me, I the Lord, have spoken. In chapter 24 of Isaiah, starting in verse 14, I want to pick up a verse or two here. But all who are left shall shout for joy and sing. For those in the West, now that could be the United States, we're west of Israel, certainly, halfway around the world, but still. Those in the West will praise the Lord's majesty, and those in eastern lands give glory to the Lord. In the lands beyond the sea, praise the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. We hear songs of praise from the ends of the earth, songs that give glory to the righteous one. That's who God is, the righteous one. I've always been very amazed and impressed with what God says, especially in Isaiah 45, verse 11, starting there. This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and your Creator. That's who He is. Do you question what I do for my children? Do you give me orders about the work of my hands? I am the one who made the earth, and I created people to live on it. 
With my hands, I stretched out the heavens. All the stars are at my command. Dropping down to verse 18. For the Lord is God, and he created the heavens and the earth. And I put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in, not a place of empty chaos. Well, let me break this down a little bit here. He created the heavens and the earth. And in the very next three words, he says, everything. He created everything, the realm, the world, to be lived in. Did you catch what the meaning is here? Everything, the heavens and the earth, are meant to be lived in, inhabited. That's the way it puts it in the King James as well. He created it, and it means the realm to be inhabited. Wow. We have a destiny that is connected with the stars. The stars have planets just like our sun has planets. And some of them are habitable. This is what going to heaven, quote unquote, means. We're going out there to build worlds filled with life. And that's what God is up to, if you ask me. That's the purpose of human life. And it's more exciting, more thrilling, more fun, more adventurous than anything else that's possible to be done. And God is very patient. He's waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God that they might join him in this massive project. Back in chapter 40 of Isaiah, in verse 5, he says, Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. And then in verse 22, God sits above the circle of the earth, and the people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. Oh, wait a minute. What's, what's, um, what's a tent anyway? A tent is a place to dwell. Hebrews 8.11 quotes some of this that we read earlier. And here's, here's the way it says it. It's a pretty good quote, really. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord. And then in verse well, 11 continued, For every one from the least to the greatest will know me already, and I will forgive their wickedness and never remember their sins again. When God speaks of a new covenant, verse 13, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. But we just saw that back in Jeremiah, the beginning of the new the new testament the new covenant so see this is all one book all one 
word of God. In verse 28 of Isaiah 40, he says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. And he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength and they will soar high on eagles' wings. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. In verse 12 of Second Peter, I want to continue, and then I want to end with the book of Revelation. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along, on that day he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames, but we are looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. Now let's flip on back to Revelation 21. Verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne, saying, Look! God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. This is Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio. Thank you for tuning in. God is not wanting to punish the world. We're going to do that on our own. And he will allow it. Why? Because we need to learn, every one of us, the lesson that we can't make it without God. We need him. He's our father and he loves us. Why shouldn't we love him back? You can go to my website, itellwhy.com. Until next time, I'm Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio. Thanks for tuning in.